0: Well, good morning to episode three of our Plus One series. Before I get going, I do want to just share a, a little bit of family news. Sadly, this week, two of our family have actually lost family. So Kathy has lost a brother, and Mike Makubela has also lost a brother. And so please reach out to them. Uh, the only way... Uh, we get through is by having people around us. And so it's great to see you here, Kathy. I know Mike's away with his family, but uh, we really trust that uh, though it's difficult, there is a sense of the presence of the Lord and the presence of us, right? So if you have Mike's number, now's the time. You jump on your phone and you send him a text, and uh, you're welcome to reach out to Kathy. Um this is our plus one series and we've spoken about being able to tell your story in two minutes. Mm-hmm. We said that. So we have two ladies that are going to come and tell us their stories in two minutes. So let's hear. Where's Jill and Yonga? Come quickly. Don't leave me in the, f- all on my own up on this front stage. These people are scary, man. <laughs> there we go. Come. Come stand right here. The camera can get you. Perfect. Uh, two minutes. Over there. Nice. Well done. Uh, all right. My name is Jillian. Um...
1: <laughs> so <go>. okay. <laughs> okay. My name is Jillian, short for Jill with a G. Um, so just before 2018, just now I was in a dark place. My father died. I failed my master's. I left her eight-year relation, toxic relationship. Everything went to That chicken with, like, two feathers left. Um, I was hospitalized for depression. Um, So I did a runner from Midrand and I moved to Century in 2018. Um, And so from 2018, I've been living by myself. Um, So, five years I never went to church. Um, I was in a dark place. And then I remember last year in December, God said, I want you to go to church. I want you to fellowship. And I think my testimony for me today is um, family, friends, um, you know, and having more than plus ones. Um, and so I googled churches around, Grace Cove came fifth, but it like stuck out to me, <laughs> it really stuck out to me. And I mean, I don't drive, I don't have a car, and I'm like, God, how are we going to get there? And he's like, num nut, it's just like uh, down the road. Um, so I uh, I walked to church that day, and as you are coming, it looks like there's a dead end. And I remember God was like, keep walking, you're like, johnny walker keep walking so i i mean i came to church um the first person i met was mike he smiled and he gave me his phone to register total stranger i'm like you trust people <laughs> um and then i sit next to a lady called nondu she smiled at me the same day there was blueprint and i came because i saw candy Um, But, you know, (laughs) the way Craig went through Blueprint, I said, this is where I belong. God said to me, you found a family here. You don't need to go elsewhere. Um, And then that day, Petal said to me, do you have a green book? So I thought, okay, I'm foreign. Is it an ID? And it was the purpose book. (laughs) So, So I joined Purpose. I tell you in my five years of being alone in Centurion, within two weeks— Going to purpose, I found ladies who live in my street, down the road, Peter lives down the road, Younga lives down the road, Tabo lives down the road, Loretta lives down the road, Um, Nita and um, Beverly. Um and uh, Beverly's amazing and we came to her house. Um and I just wanted to, and then Heda said to me, Join hospitality. And I was like, That's that's like free food. Um you know? <laughs> I was like uh, <laughs> um a ras fringe benefits. So I joined, but I do want to say the power of God in five years he restored to me family. That I never had. Um, I'm alone here in South Africa. I don't have family here. Zero nada. It's just me, myself, and I. But I don't want to lie to you. Since joining Grace Cove in January, I have the largest um, family I've ever had in my life. Uh, so thank you. Well <laughs> yes. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Guys give us four minutes,
2: uh, <laughs> <two>. <laughs> Morning church. Um. So. Okay. Uh, I'm Yonga, and this is my son, B. Um, oh, Butali, I call him B. <laughs> the other day, a friend asked, Does he even know his name? Like, yeah. And I asked him, and he's like, Angus? It's like, oh, okay. We need to start again. Mm. Hey. <laughs> so we have two minutes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, to share my testimony um, of how. I think God restored my identity in him. In 2020, um, I was pregnant with this little man, and we had a baby shower, which was meant to be a celebration. Unfortunately, uh, that night, his dad was murdered. In 2021, I was then admitted at first I was diagnosed with uh, depression, severe depression, and they said complicated grief. So I was admitted, and I remember, you know, when his dad passed, I was so angry at God. Uh, I was so angry. I was like, why, why would you do that to me? You know, why would you do that to me? Uh, little did I know that when I was admitted, I remember. So every day we'd have um, sessions with a psychologist and your a psychiatrist. I remember one night I went in, and um, as I walked out from the session. So when I walked out, it was a passage. So when I walked out, I had a tap in the back, and I looked up. When I looked up, there was one spiritual moment I'll never forget. I saw a load lifted off my shoulder. I don't know how, but I could see it. And the more it went up, the lighter I felt. Because what I was struggling with uh, that they admitted me was because I wasn't accepting. Like I couldn't. When I was talking of him, I was talking of a present person, you know. And uh, when they asked me, "Can you think about life before?" Like when I closed my eyes, it was just dark. I couldn't. I couldn't imagine my life before. I couldn't even imagine it after. So everything was just dark. But that night, when I got to my room, listen, I wrote all the letters they've asked me to write since I was admitted. I wrote, "I accept that you are gone, and I know that we are going to be okay." you know, I I accepted everything. And from there, I think from since I was, oh, then later on, um, I was, because I was diagnosed, right? And then they cleared me off everything. They said I was fine. And from there, God has been teaching me to be intentional. So I've always, I prayed, but you know, I squeezed in God in my schedule. But he taught me that you need to make time for me. So now I know that I need to make time for God. And uh, it's and it's not even like everything is fine, but I'm intentional about it. I'm intentional about my time with him. I'm intentional even about sharing my story. Because I know sometimes we go through things and we forget who our father is. We forget that he, he can, listen, he's our redeemer. In all that we go through, we have him. So we have hope, you see, he's two now so god is great
0: (laughs) well done isn't it good to hear stories great to hear you realize all of a sudden wow i never i never i never knew you like that i thought you were you know just surface level really good to be able to hear those stories we'll do it again next week and next week uh, just to, as an example, and then hopefully we all become more comfortable telling those stories. Can I give you the the best secret for a good testimony? The shorter the better. Yeah. Yeah. Leave them hungry; they'll ask for more. Okay, rather than filling them up. And it's also good for preaching, I suppose. Last week, Coles and I were at uh, True Life Church in Midrand, and uh, just to say, they asked us to thank you guys for letting us go, and a great church. They planted uh, around COVID time, and they're hiring a school hall, and they're doing it hard. It's right in the early stages of the beginning, and uh, so um, thank you for sending us, and it was great t- to be there. We had a wonderful time. So if I asked you how comfortable you are about talking about your faith, like the two ladies did this morning, I wonder what you would say. I think even people that have been Christians for their for as long as they can remember almost can have difficulties in finding the right time, the right place, and the right words to approach spiritual conversations with their unchurched friends, even if we want to. Try and start, and then you stop, and you try and start. Most of us think we should tell people about Jesus, but to be honest, we don't think we can. We think maybe Billy Graham should have that job, or Angus Buchan, or whoever your favorite kind of Christian personality is. Or maybe we just think, hey, we live in a Christian country. Someone else will do that. Well, the statistics are that less than 21% of South Africans are born again. You might say, oh, 21%, that doesn't sound so bad. It is, however, one in five. So every time you walk in a crowd, you think if I'm born again, that means the next four people statistically aren't. We've got work to do. Carrie Newhoff says that we must equip Christians to have spiritual conversations with non-religious people. And at Grace Cove, we've said everyone should serve one. And I love the stories of hearing. I think many of you are doing that. And if not, as part of the family, we encourage you serve somewhere. If you're if you a guy and you're not too sure where you can do it, man, you can always help us with security. Uh, There's all sorts of jobs. But we've said each one serve one. Then we've said each one invite one. And the challenge is, could you imagine, it sounds so foolish when I put it this way, but how about we invite one person to meet Jesus once a year? Just once a year is all I'm asking today. Just once a year. You think, oh, that sounds terrible, but then think about last year. It's true, hey? And uh, the easiest way might be to invite them to church, but the goal is to invite them to Jesus. If they have to come to church to meet Him, that's cool. But we want people to meet Him, and then we've said each one disciple one. So once you've invited someone, you can begin to walk with them and introduce them to Jesus ongoingly. I want to ask us this morning, so who's your plus one? Who's your plus one? I hope as you're getting ready to do life, you're thinking, who's doing it with me? Yes, we are those people that get the invitation. You're you're welcome to come. But who's coming with you? Andrew and Philip, Jesus' disciples, are great examples of the of their first response after they met him, after they met Jesus, they went to find others to invite them to meet Jesus. When they faced difficult questions, they didn't know anything yet. It was just the first days of knowing who Jesus was, even. When they were faced with difficult questions, they simply pointed to Jesus and let Him do the work. They said in these words, come and see. And often with the, the, the difficulties and the intricacies of telling people about Jesus are what holds us back. All we have to say is, hey, I have a friend I'd like to introduce you to. That's good manners, right? And when it might be difficult, you say, hey, I just want to show you Jesus. Come and see. So who's your plus one? Our series so far we've spoken about is God is, is God real? Last week Micah preached so well and he preached on the topic of can I believe in God? So is God even real that he can be believed in and then can I believe in God? This morning we're going to speak about what about suffering? Isn't it interesting already this morning you've heard many people telling stories and many, uh, examples of suffering, right? And in this world we will have suffering. Perhaps you wonder, how does a rational person even begin to believe in God? Or is it just something that happens to a person? Is it brought on by a crisis and where they're somehow forced to believe? Uh, in the olden days, people had to, uh, um, uh, at, pains, at on pain of death, they had to uh, either accept or deny Jesus. Is it like that today? Or maybe some people just find it easier than others to believe in God, and you're not one of them. Um Maybe you would like to believe in God. Maybe you'd even like to have a personal relationship, but you're afraid of being fools. Fool me once, shame on me. F- f- shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And one of the great objectives to believing in objections to believing in God is the question of suffering. Do you agree? How can there be a good God in this world when there is so much evil? And the truth is, all of us, to whatever degree, have faced difficulties in this life, right? We're surrounded by tough things. Even those who we think are, have it easier. You heard this morning. I would guess that both ladies that stood up on on the platform, if you have met them, if you chatted them before, you probably thought, "Oh, these are great ladies. They've got it together. They seem they present really well, don't they?" And then when you hear about, "Wow, actually, they've been through some deep waters." It's easy to think that's not the case of others, only us. I'm the only one that has it as bad as I do. And the question of suffering can cause us to question God. How could good God allow suffering in this world? To be honest, it is a perplexing question, isn't it? Some would even say they lost their faith when they experienced great suffering. Or even personal, on a personal level, began to doubt that there was a God who cared for them when they suffered like they have. And for some, this is enough, enough, to, to ex, enough of an excuse to turn their backs on God or choose not to believe in God. For some of us, it's just easier to believe that God does not exist than to try and do the work of figuring it out. How, when I see this, can these things still be true? The question we ask ourselves is, how can God be good if suffering exists, right? C.S. Lewis, a great writer, um, struggled to come to faith. He, he was anti-God, and he looked at suffering in the world, and uh, it was the very suffering around him that stopped him believing in God. And then he eventually realized that his desire for God and justice actually pointed towards the existence Of a good and just God. It sounds counterintuitive. He writes this, he says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? Where did the idea come from? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe to when I called it unjust? Unjust. Often though the pain we experience is the natural result of our own choices and of living in a painfully broken world. Just as parents have to allow children to suffer the consequences of their actions. Remember those stories? If you're a mom or a dad, there will be consequences to this action. And sometimes we have to allow them to go through their mistakes so that they can learn and develop character. Sometimes a good God, the good father has to allow people to suffer the consequences of their collective and personal sin. If you're a person, if you're a parent and you tell your child not to steal, but they choose to steal anyway, they will face consequences, right? Break your heart as a parent. Consequences will be there. But if the child then points the finger at you as the parent and says that their actions are the conf- are the consequences of your responsibility, then that's not right either. Saying to someone this morning, in our culture today, everyone looks for an excuse for their lot in life. Everyone has it different to me. You don't understand where I've come from. You had privileges that I don't have, or you grew up in a place that we all look for reasons. The Americans are called a litigious society, right? They have to put little disclaimers on, on takeaway cups of coffee. Caution, content's hot. You know why they have to do that? Because someone bought coffee, drank it, burnt their tongue, sued the company, because it wasn't their fault that they drank the hot coffee. It must be somebody else's fault. Because if it's my fault, I have to deal with the consequences and the realities of me making a mistake. People often choose to hold God responsible for things that they have chosen to do that result in one kind of suffering or another. This morning I want to look at three reasons why there is pain and suffering in the world. And I want to be as sensitive as I can because... We've already said, we all go through tough times. And to be honest, you might be there right now. I'm not trying to minimize or explain away. I'm simply wanting to point towards this fact that God is good despite. And as we talk about plus ones, one of the questions that you will have to wrestle with, and as we point to Jesus, others will wrestle with, and they'll bring it up over and over again. There's two big things that people use as excuses not to believe in Jesus. One is the church is full of hypocrites. And two is how can a good God allow evil in the world? And we can answer both of those. One, don't be a hypocrite. Number two, it's not an easy topic and it's not an easy answer, but we can answer it and we can stand in faith. Job... One of the, the earliest book in the Bible is a story of great suffering, if you've read it. It speaks of a man with a family, and the devil has a go at him and, 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 and takes absolutely everything away. Eventually, he's left with only his wife. He's left full of sores and pain and suffering, sitting on the rubber heap, scraping his sores with a piece of pottery. How's that for a bad day? And he cries out to the Lord. He says, what's going on? And eventually he says, I understand, God, you are greater. And God says to him, who are you that you question me? And he, he ends off by saying, wow, my eyes have seen your greatness. Right from the beginning of recorded time in the scriptures, this is a question that we face and we can come to terms with. The first, the first point this morning is this of free will. Free will. Free will, firstly, uh, lives out in choice. You see, when God created the world, he created it to be good, right? Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, at the end of creation, God saw that all he had made and it was very good. Very good at the end of the the creation story. God himself created good. There was no evil, right? Sin had not entered the world. God created good. And we point at God and say, how can a good God allow evil? How can a good God create evil? God did not created evil he created good and he looked at the earth and he said it was good there's an important difference between what god causes and what god allows What God causes and what God allows. God created the world and he gave people free choice to obey him and to live in his perfect creation or to rebel by going their own way and suffering the consequences. And that's what we see in Genesis. He created this perfect environment. He put a man and a woman to look after the world and he visited them every evening to walk in fellowship with them. And in that moment they chose an action which caused them to be banished from that perfect uh, uh, environment it's very easy to say oh God you set them up God you banished them no the consequences of their sin. Lee Strobel in his book The Cause for Faith he says when God decided to create human beings he wanted us to experience ultimate love but to give us the ability to love God had to give us free will to decide whether to love or not to love why does he have to do that? Because love always involves choice. You've watched the movies and and read the books, perhaps even growing up, the formula is is so obvious. You have, you know, the rich guy, and uh, he's never sure whether the one that says loves him, loves him for his money or for himself. You've seen those movies? And very often you see the, 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 the prince or the rich person or pretending to be something that he's not, putting on beggar's clothes and then saying, will people love me for who I am? And how do I know that they'll love me for, for me or for what I give them? Yes. Think of the prodigal son, the man who took his inheritance and went and he, he, he squandered his life, the Bible says, in, in, in wild living. And when he ran out of money, he learned the lesson, the answer to this question. Because the Bible says when his money ended, so did his friends. He had lots of friends when he was the one picking up the tab. One more round on me, lots of friends. When his money ran out, so did his friends. Have you been there? Have you been there? How do we know? I want to sing. How do I know that she really loves me? It's the truth. And here we have God... (laughs) Thank you for the few of you that smiled. (laughs) Here we have the God of all creation. The richest, most splendid being in any imagination. He creates a world whose primary purpose is that human beings could see him and receive him and love him. And he has this struggle How will they know? How will I know if they love me? You see, if God did not give us the choice to hate him, how would we have the choice to love him? And love that's forced is no love at all. If you don't love me, you're out. You imagine? If you don't love me, lightning bolts from heaven. If you don't love me, it'll go so bad for you until you give in and say you love me. Is that love? Is it a good relationship where as long as the gifts come, love is returned? When the gifts stop, no love is left. You see, we have to have free will which results in the choice to love him or not love him. Because love is always a choice. To be very clear, God did not create evil and suffering. He did, however, create the potential for evil to enter the world. Because the only way to create the potential for genuine goodness and love is to give human beings the choice to do either. It was human beings and our free will who brought the potential of evil into reality. Throughout history, God has reached out to mankind to draw them into a life of loving connection with Him. He had He gave them personal fellowship in the Garden of Eden. He, he He put in mankind an innate desire to worship something greater than them. Wherever you look in all of civilization, over the whole of creation, there is always every every tribe always speaks of this this desire to worship something greater. Always. He put that in us. He sent the prophets. He gave the Ten Commandments. He gave the Old Testament law. He sent angels. He sent theophanies—Jesus in the Old Testament appearing to man—and ultimately sent His Son in the New Testament. Over and over again, He made the overture for a human, for 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 mankind to love Him. Hebrews chapter one, verse one, it says, "In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times and in many ways, but in these last days He has spoken to us." By his son. Matthew chapter 23 verse 37. Jesus stands on on the sloping hills of Jerusalem. And he looks over the city and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her tricks under her wings. But you were not willing. When I was in primary school I, I I came up with a great scheme. I convinced my mom to buy uh what do you call them? Broilers. No, broiler meat to chickens that make eggs. It's a great idea. Went with my mom who found a farm. She paid for the she paid for the chicken for the, the chickens. I brought them home. We made a run for them. Uh she paid for the feed and then every day I collected the eggs and I sold them back to my mom. It's a great idea. It's a perfect scheme, Jamie, no. And, <laughs> it's a perfect scheme. But you know, uh, we were living on the south coast those days. And we have a thing called, down there you have a thing called a yellow-billed hawk. The yellow-billed kite. It's a big bird of prey. And I remember watching those chickens. They scratch, 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 scratch. You know how they are. And then all of a sudden they must have seen a, a shadow in the sky. Uh, that mother hen makes a noise like, you don't often hear. It's a, it's, a, it's a eerie noise. And she could, I just saw her spreading her wings, and, and the little chickens were running like anything, darting, squeaking under those wings. And Jesus says, Man, I have longed to gather you. I have longed to protect you from the suffering in this world. I have longed to bring you close to me. I have longed to love you like no one else can truly love you. I've sent the prophets, and you killed them. I've sent my word. I've sent the commandments, Father has sent His Son, and still you were not willing. Free will results in choice. Free will results in a broken world. In a broken world. So much of the world's suffering results from the sinful action or inaction of ourselves and others. Have you ever worried about the famine in the world? Let's just take one example. Have you ever worried that people go go to bed hungry? We talk in South Africa so easily about the poorest of the poor, don't we? Yeah. I remember World Vision and many others trying to raise money to to work against poverty. Do you know that right now this earth has the capacity, the farm the, the food production in this world at the moment is sufficient to support a population of ten billion people? We are one and a half times oversubscribed in our food production. We can give people more than 3,000 calories a, a day, every person on the face of the earth. In other words, there's enough food for everyone to become fat. Yeah, And yet still we have huge poverty. Why is that? Is it God's fault because there's poverty? He's provided the food. The food is there. Somehow we as human beings can't get our act together to look after each other. It's easy to blame God when actually it's not His faults. Martin Luther King Jr. said of the law of nature, he said, "How do you know that a law or an action is unjust? Only if there is a higher law that says it. Uh, said as a, it a higher law that say it's unjust. Otherwise, it's the strong eat the weak." unless there's some standard that we can appeal to design, created by something larger than us then who's to say it's just an argument what what we should do it's utterly natural in nature for the strong to survive and the weak to suffer am i right yeah it's that's how it works we've got mongoose on the property you've you've hopefully seen them they lucked house cats in the church just about and i tell you if they get a chance every once in a while we see a little pile of feathers down there i know shame but that's how it works the strong eat the weak in nature right that's how the natural world is set up the fact is that there is inside of us a sense of injustice and even anger at suffering and it proves that there is a god that designed us we don't just come from nature and some people might ask, but couldn't a good God have foreseen all of this suffering and then acted uh, um, uh, to stop it? No doubt he did because he knows everything. But I want to say that even if you are parents, we know that there's a very real, risk, a real possibility that our children may suffer. And we may have disappointment, pain, or heartache in life. Isn't that true? Yeah. Every single person that, that uh, makes a relationship understands that I could be broken hearted in a relationship. Everyone that tries to have children knows, even in the trying, that there could be heartbreak or there could be joy. Yeah. Everyone who has a child knows that in that life there could be great joy or great disappointment, great suffering. They might even hurt you and walk away from you. And yet we still have kids. We still have relationships. We still try. Why? Because we know that there's also the potential for tremendous joy and deep love and great meaning. In creation, God has done everything over and over and over again to convince mankind to choose well. That they might be gathered like a mother hen gathers their chicks. The third thing about free will is that we have limited understanding. Limited understanding. Tim Keller in his book Reason for God said, the skeptic's view assumes that if evil and suffering appear to be pointless to us, then it has to be pointless. Have you ever looked at something and think, why on earth does it work like that? I have a reputation in our extended family as uh, one who likes to take things apart, but I often struggle to put them back together again. One Christmas, colleagues' parents gave me an electric screwdriver, and of course I wanted to know how it works, so I took it apart, and then I spent the rest of the Christmas holiday trying to figure out how to put it back together again. Man, I still haven't lived that one down. (laughs) It's very easy for us to say, this part is pointless. Why do we need this part? And then it breaks. The skeptic says, if it doesn't make sense to me, it has to be pointless. There has to be no reason. And just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean that there can't be one. You see, the fact that the assumption that God would make sense to me assumes that the Creator is subject to the creation. Wes is responsible for uh, all sorts of working parts on uh, Ford vehicles. And would it make sense for the bucky to look at Wares and say, man, I don't need this leaf spring in the back. I'm sure I can do without it. It's ludicrous, right? It makes no sense. And I know some of you men picture your cars talking, so it can talk back. It makes no sense for the creation to expect that the creator should make sense to them. We have to come to terms with his Being is greater than ours. Romans chapter 9, verse 20. It says, Shall we, shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Imagine the cow, if it was possible. At the moment of creation, God made the cow, and the cow lifted his snout to heaven and said, I wanted to be a sheep. It's ludicrous, right? Hey? Imagine the river saying, "I would rather be a cloud." Just wait Hey? Just wait. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Imagine the river saying, "Oh, why do I have to go through the pain of the sun changing my state? Why do I have to lose some of myself to disappear into the air?" Hey? And every crop. And every part of the world would dry up and die if not for that. Just because the creation doesn't understand the creator does not mean that he is evil or any less good. Joseph in the Old Testament was nearly killed by his brothers. They put him in a hole in the ground. They sold him into slavery. They told his father he had been Killed by wild animals. He was falsely accused. He was sold again into slavery. He, he falsely accused of rape. He was overlooked for pardon. He suffered at every turn. And yet he chose to forgive his brothers and his oppressors in Genesis chapter 50 verse 19 when they finally come to terms to repent for all they've done because he gets elevated to the prime minister of Egypt. And now he has the power to get back at them. He says this, don't be afraid. Am I in place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Just because we don't understand it does not mean that God doesn't intend it for good. Some of what we perceive as hardship is for our good. What about a mother taking just a tiny little baby for immunizations? Have you lived through that? It takes days for the kid to come right. The kid squeals. It's so painful. You imagine the child looking at the mother saying, you are evil to do this terrible thing to me. How would the mother even explain to the two-month-old baby what's going on? You understand, sometimes what we perceive as for our worst is actually for our best. Someone has said this, it says that it will all turn out for good in the end. If it's not yet good, it's not yet the end. Can we have that video, Hendrik?
3: When I was told that my first husband, Jim, was missing in Alka Indian country, the Lord brought to my mind some words from the prophet Isaiah. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. I prayed silently, Lord, let not the waters overflow. And he heard me, and he answered me. Two years later, I went in to live with the Indians who had killed Jim. 16 years after that, after I had come back to the States, I married a theologian named Addison Leach. He died of cancer three and a half years later. There have been some hard things in my life, of course, as there have been in yours. And I cannot say to you, I know exactly what you're going through, but I can say that I know the one who knows. And I've come to see that it's through the deepest suffering that God has taught me the deepest lessons. And if we'll trust him for it, we can come to the unshakable assurance that he's in charge, he has a loving purpose, and he can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Suffering is never for nothing.
0: She went and lived with the people that killed her first husband. She could have said, God, it's evil, it's unfair, how can I suffer like this? And yet she brought life to those people in those villages. My time was running out. And you can have a look at more of this during the week in life groups. But first of all, God had to create a world with free will. Secondly, there is great fellowship in suffering. I'm going to go quickly to finish. But I want to remind you that God is not remote. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship in his sufferings God is not remote you see God did not answer the question of should suffering be in the world with some plan or scheme he's rather sent his son who suffered on our behalf and the answer is is not a solution it's his presence in everything that we do uh, Peter Christ said this he said God who is perfect in himself who could not remove suffering without removing our choice to choose him and love him and instead enters our experience and suffers for us Christianity alone among the world's religions claims that God became uniquely and fully human in Jesus Christ and therefore knows firsthand despair rejection loneliness poverty bereavement torture and imprisonment in his death God offers love, identifying with with the abandoned and the forsaken. C.S. Lewis writes it like this. He says uh, in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I want to give us hope this morning that God is present in our pain. There is fellowship even in our sufferings. Final point, that he gives us future hope. So there is free will, there is fellowship in our sufferings, and finally, there is future hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Friends, even if he doesn't heal us in this life, even if he doesn't take away the pain in this life, we know that there is an eternity promised to us in his presence. I made the joke, if it's not good, it's not the end. He can work in our present, But even the best we have in this life pales in comparison to the life that he has promised for us. There is future hope. Let me finish with this. Are you broken? Uh, You can skip ahead to (laughs) one of those final ones. You'll find it. Are you broken? He was broken like bread for us. Are you despised? He was despised and rejected of men. Do you cry that you can't take it anymore? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Did someone betray you? He was sold out by a friend. Are your most tender relationships broken? He was loved and he was rejected. Did people turn from you? Well, they hid their face from him as though he were a leper. Does he descend into all of our hells? Yes, he does. And from the depths of a Nazi death camp, Corrie Ten Boom wrote these words. No matter how deep our darkness, he is deeper still. How can there be a good God when there is suffering in the world? I'm so grateful that there is a good God. To be with us who suffered on our behalf. And who is present with us to bring us through. The very fact that there is something inside of us that has a sense of injustice. Proves the fact that there is a higher standard. That there is a good God. That has done everything. He sent his messengers, his word, his son. He sent himself to be with us. He promises to be with us into the future. And surely he will take us home. Elizabeth Elliot said she has come to realize these three things that God is in charge, that He has a loving purpose, and He can transform something terrible into something wonderful. Would you stand with me? As much as this morning I've tried to make a credible argument for these things because you probably will have the same stories with those that you talk to who will become your plus ones. But at the same time, I'm very aware that we are all human. (laughs) We in this room face suffering. The one thing I know, that in the dark of the night, no argument settles my soul. No textbook, no great philosophy or solution. In my darkest moments, what brings me through is that my Savior is with me. I, I trust you've heard me speak with compassion and not gloss over the facts this morning. I trust that you understand that we may face difficulty. But in all of these things, he is with us. He has made every offer to us, and he will walk with us, and he will bring us home. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would put inside of each heart the deep-seated surety. That, Father, though we suffer and we face trials on this earth, you are good, and you never leave us alone. I thank you for your presence in the good days and the bad days. And I thank you, Lord, that we have a future hope, this anchor for our soul, that you will bring us home. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Cool. Thanks, Greg. Good Good word. And. Um It's always, yeah, I mean, I'm just reminded again of, of that thing of even if you don't believe, deep down you do.